0: Tonight, President Trump stepping up his attacks on mail-in voting. With the post office in crisis, the president calling universal mail-in ballots very dangerous. Democrats called back to Washington to stop what they call an assault on an American institution. The president's postal chief set to testify at an emergency hearing. And on the front lines, what mail carriers are saying. The DNC kicking off a convention unlike any in history, nearly all virtual. Michelle Obama headlining Night One, the stakes and what to watch for, and President Trump, how he hopes to grab the spotlight coronavirus on campus just one week into the semester the first major university to send students back home and the images raising concern huge parties with no social distancing the historic disaster in the midwest tens of thousands still without power a week after a powerful storm heat emergency 52 million under alerts death valley hitting 130 degrees a scorcher fueling explosive wildfires and the little boy with three wishes the overwhelming response from all over the country. This is NBC Nightly News, the Democratic National Convention. Here is Lester Holt. Good evening. As Democrats take the spotlight at the start of their national convention tonight, they are also rising up against the dismantling of the Postal Service and President Trump's simultaneous attacks on mail-in voting. The president, the Democrats say, further undermining the integrity of a process pushed to the forefront by the pandemic. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi recalling House members from their break in an effort to direct desperately needed funds to shore up the Postal Service. With the presidential election looming, Peter Alexander starts off our coverage, and Peter, the president is defending those changes at the post office. Yeah, Lester, President Trump insists he is pushing to speed
1: up the mail, not slow it down. But policy changes implemented by his postmaster general are doing just that. And tonight, top Democrats warn the White House is trying to interfere in the election. President Trump tonight is kicking off a week-long campaign swing while escalating his attacks on mail-in voting that election experts widely agree is secure. This universal mail-in is a very dangerous thing. It's fraught with fraud and every other thing that can happen and we have to be very, very careful. And I wanna make sure the election is not stolen. Concerns keep growing over mail delays. These protests today in Arizona as the postal service has slashed overtime and removed mail processing equipment. Moves it says are designed to cut costs and improve efficiency but that could slow the delivery of ballots. Now, Democratic Attorneys General in at least 10 states are discussing taking legal action. So
0: he's doing everything in his power to try and sow doubt and undermine uh, the vote. And I'm telling you, I will not let him get away with it. Speaker Nancy Pelosi is calling the
1: House back from its August recess to vote on a proposal Saturday that would direct $25 billion to the struggling Postal Service and roll back recent changes to mail operations. In a letter to Democrats accusing President Trump of a campaign to sabotage the election. The president today delivering mixed messages while denying he has anything to do with the slow mail delivery. We want to make sure that the post office runs properly and it hasn't run properly for many years. But when asked whether cutbacks will have an impact on the delivery of medications or prescriptions. No, no, the post office is running very well. Tonight, Postmaster General Louis DeJoy has agreed to testify at a hearing next Monday. Demonstrators this weekend protesting outside the Washington home of DeJoy. A Trump ally who's given more than a billion dollars to the president's campaign. And as photos emerge that appear to show mailboxes being hauled away, a Postal Service spokeswoman tells NBC News they'll postpone removing boxes for 90 days until after the election while they evaluate customer concerns. Peter Alexander, NBC News, The White House. This is Jeff Bennett.
2: In upstate New York, postal clerk Lori Cash rises just past midnight each morning to open the Depew Post Office. Cash, a local postal union president, says the early hours don't bother her. What does are the dramatic changes she's seen recently in the way mail is delivered.
3: Our cardinal rule is to not delay the mail. So to have someone come in and all of a sudden tell us we're not going to deliver all the mail every day is a complete change in the culture that we were taught from day one.
2: Cash, along with fellow postal workers Michael Chinelli of Long Island and Daleo Freeman of Cleveland, told me the new mandates implemented by Postmaster General Louis DeJoy are causing an unprecedented slowdown in mail.
4: We want to just do our jobs to the best of our ability and look, be given the resources to do them.
2: DeJoy, a Republican mega-donor and Trump ally who took over as postmaster general in June, argues his cost-cutting measures are aimed at overhauling an agency suffering billion-dollar losses. Overtime pay for workers, erased. Late delivery trips for mail carriers, eliminated. Post office operating hours reduced, leading to service slowdowns and delivery delays from coast to coast.
4: We've had mail that
5: has
2: been left in the plants. The way they're stopping it, the mail's just not making it to transportation. Have you seen any improvements at all based on the changes the Postmaster General has made?
3: Nope, not a thing.
2: None, from the top down, (laughs) from the top down. The postal workers we spoke with insist the post office has the capacity to handle the expected surge in mail-in ballots.
3: We handle over a billion uh, Christmas cards every holiday season. We can handle um, a couple hundred million uh, ballots coming through.
2: They say they're up to the job if only given the chance. Jeff Bennett, NBC News, Washington.
0: And for everything you need to know about voting in your state, check out our interactive guide called Plan Your Vote on NBCnews.com. And starting tonight, a historic week in American politics, a mostly virtual Democratic National Convention shaped by a pandemic and a black woman on a major party ticket. With more, here's NBC's Kristen Welker.
6: Tonight, former First Lady Michelle Obama making the case for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris.
7: Democratic officials releasing a clip of her pre-recorded keynote speech. I know Joe. He is a profoundly decent man, guided by faith.
6: Mrs. Obama casting this election as a referendum on what she characterized as a lack of leadership at the White House for a country in crisis. He was a terrific vice president.
7: He knows what it takes to rescue an economy, beat back a pandemic, and lead our country. And he listens. He will tell the truth and trust science. And getting personal about the tragedies Biden has endured. When he was a young senator, Joe lost his wife and his baby daughter. And when he was vice president, he lost his beloved son. So Joe knows the anguish of sitting at a table with an empty chair.
6: The former first lady setting the stage for an unprecedented convention, unlike four years ago when Biden helped to energize the party. He cares about the middle class. Give me a break! No balloon drop or packed convention hall. Instead, this event will be almost entirely virtual, from the roll call tomorrow night to watch parties throughout the week, a mix of high-profile politicians and celebrities. I'm Eva Longoria. Other key speakers tonight include Senator Bernie Sanders, Ohio's former Republican Governor John Kasich, and and Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, all aiming to unify the party around its historic ticket. Senator Harris is the first woman of color to become a vice presidential nominee of a major party. What role will the fact that this is a history-making ticket play in this convention?
5: I'm not sure that people are as concerned about making history as they are about making their future. And if you leave Donald Trump in for another four years, he's going to destroy everybody's future except Donald Trump and his family.
6: A pivotal night for Democrats
7: fighting to win back the White House. His life is a testament to getting back up. And he is going to channel that same grit and passion to pick us all up, to help us heal and guide us forward.
6: At his campaign event in Wisconsin, President Trump said, quote, who wants to listen to Michelle Obama do a taped speech? It is worth noting polls show she is one of the most popular political figures in the country. All of the Democratic National Convention gets underway.
0: Lester. Kristen Welker tonight, thanks. Let's bring in our political director and moderator of Meet the Press, Chuck Todd. Chuck, what are you going to be looking for tonight?
4: Well, look, I think that the challenge for Team Biden in general and for tonight of itself is is not just to sort of present a unified front. I think the Democratic Party already has done a pretty good job of showing they're united against Donald Trump. I think if you look, and it shows up big time in our NBC Wall Street Journal poll, if you look at sort of the one deficit Joe Biden probably has to close or attempt to close, it is making the case to the public that he's the right guy to get us out of the economic mess. I think focusing a little bit on his plans going forward. He's already made the case that he's anti-Trump. He's now got to make the case that he's the steward for the economy going forward. I think all this week that is
0: something the Biden folks have to be focused on. All right, Chuck Todd, we'll look for you a bit later on tonight. I'll be anchoring our primetime coverage of the convention tonight here on NBC at 10 Eastern, 7 Pacific. There is breaking news on the coronavirus. One major university changing course late today after more than 100 new infections as students return to campuses across the country and troubling new images emerge. Here's Miguel Almaguer with that.
4: Tonight at UNC Chapel Hill, the party is over. After scenes like these and 135 new COVID cases, a major reversal. The university canceling in-person classes just as the fall semester was getting underway. Massive parties on and off campuses at universities across the country amid a pandemic is the return to college life health officials fear.
6: I feel like it's just kind of inevitable at like any college campus right now just because you have like all these people coming together after being away for so long.
4: With little attention paid to social distancing, at Oklahoma State, a sorority is now in quarantine after nearly two dozen students tested positive for the virus. UConn now testing all students living on campus amid a rash of new infections there just as tens of thousands of students began classes today
3: i'm really worried that dozens of my friends my professors
7: um the staff at elon um are gonna get sick and possibly die
4: concern is shared by faculty and parents
7: she wants the whole experience and i want that for her but of course i'm just so nervous with an
4: estimated 40% of colleges nationwide planning some type of return to in-person learning, top doctors are urging officials in hotspots to close bars and shut down gatherings like this one to get COVID under control.
3: Don't be cavalier about getting this virus.
4: Concern over the virus reaching new heights amid new CDC guidance that COVID rates in kids are steadily increasing. In Arizona, a district closed today because teachers refused to staff classrooms. But in Kansas, instructors who quit in one district may be forced to pay up to $10,000 for backing out of their contracts. In Los Angeles, officials announced plans to begin testing all staff, students, and their families learning from home from now, the results could get students back
0: in the classroom sooner. All right, Miguel, thank you. In 60 seconds, tens of thousands still suffering a week after that devastating storm in the Midwest. And we speak with voters in battleground Wisconsin, where turnout among black women is considered key for the Democrats. All right, we're back now with what's becoming a historic disaster in the Midwest. Iowa still reeling a week after that destructive windstorm. President Trump today approving a federal disaster declaration. Our Gabe Gutierrez is is there.
5: Tonight, Iowa is desperately pleading for help a week after a destructive derecho. The rare powerful line of storms tore through here with the strength of a Category 2 hurricane only there was much less time to prepare.
1: One of these up here in the Midwest, it's unbelievable what it'll do.
5: The storms pummeled a staggering swath of the Midwest, killing at least three people in Iowa. But here in Cedar Rapids, the destruction is stunning. Even a week later, tens of thousands of people are still without power. About half the homes are damaged. Residents feel forgotten.
3: All of the power lines are just on the road. So we're not gonna be with power in for a long time
5: today president trump approved an emergency declaration
3: it's going to be a long road
5: the governor is requesting about four billion dollars in aid here in the corn belt the storm swept through at the height of the growing season ravaging farms and destroying at least a third of the state's crops an unthinkable disaster in addition to COVID,
6: we've been suffering under this pandemic for for so long and then this happens on on top of it
5: With nowhere to go, some of the area's refugee community have set up tents. The devastation is just unbelievable. Now donated supplies are pouring in. It was like hell. This assisted living center was without power for days. Sue Ross is devastated. We had no air. We had no food, no water. Here in Cedar Rapids, a curfew is still in effect overnight. The Iowa National Guard and FEMA are on the ground. And President Trump is now scheduled to tour this area
0: tomorrow. Lester's yes, folks are going through so much. All right, Gabe, thanks very much. And from storms to a scorcher in the West, 52 million people under heat alerts as hot weather fuels wildfires in California. Record-breaking highs, Death Valley hitting 130 degrees. That's the hottest temperature recorded on earth in 89 years. Today, California's governor signed an emergency order to reduce power disruptions during the heat wave. Also tonight, as the Democratic convention gets underway virtually, the city where it was supposed to happen, Milwaukee, is still crucial for the Democrats' plan to flip Wisconsin back to blue. Garrett Hake is there as part of our county-to-county coverage.
8: When Joe Biden introduced Senator Kamala Harris as his running mate, Milwaukee grandmother Denise Calloway signed up to volunteer for the first time in her life. That pick really put something on your heart.
7: Oh, my gosh. When I saw her walk out with him, I teared up. I I cried. It is a moment in history that I don't know that I expected to see.
8: Inspiring voters like Calloway is critical for flipping the Badger State back to blue. President Trump won Wisconsin by less than 1 percent, a major reason, turnout among black voters in Milwaukee County fell by 19 percent in 2016 compared to 2012. Small business owner Terrence Collins voted for Barack Obama twice, but did not vote for president in 2016, saying Hillary Clinton ignored Wisconsin. So it was like, uh, I'm going to kind of sit this one out because I really didn't like neither one. Mm -hmm. But now, looking back, I wish I would (laughs) have voted for Hillary. Support for the jobless, the economic recovery, and the police reform movement are all key issues for voters here.
4: Everybody gets to see what we've
8: endured or we've been going through for so many years. Mm -hmm. So now it also shows by the last election that our vote does count. They told us the White House response to the protests and to the pandemic are also giving something of a boost to Biden. For
7: many of my friends who I talk to, both black and white, Donald Trump is doing a really good job of making a case for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris.
8: Voters here pointed out it was black women who saved Joe Biden's campaign during the early primary states. And they see his choice of Harris to join the ticket with him
0: as evidence that their continued loyalty would work both ways. All right, Garrett Hanks, thank you. Up next, a young boy's plea and the remarkable outpouring. Finally, a simple plea from a nine-year-old boy in foster care and the overwhelming response. Here's Kristen Dahlgren.
3: In a fairy tale, three wishes can quickly change a life. But when nine-year-old Jordan was asked what he would wish for.
7: Family, family, those are only wishes I have. The
3: Oklahoma boy featured in an adoption segment on our NBC affiliate
7: KFOR. I call mom and dad, or this mom or this dad. I don't really care.
3: Now the video's gone viral and the state received over 5,000 adoption inquiries in the first 12 hours. Jordan has been in the foster care system for six years. He was first featured in 2017 with his little brother. We like to do anything like
7: bake and karate.
3: His brother was adopted, but Jordan now lives in a group home. He wants to be a police officer and have a family to go bike riding and eat mac and cheese with.
7: Well, the reason why it's important is because um, so I could have um, some, like, some people to talk to anytime I need to.
3: A little boy tonight may be one step closer to his happily ever after. Kristen Dahlgren, NBC News.
7: How could you not be touched by that? Good evening, everyone. It's a hard time and everyone's feeling it in different ways. And I know a lot of folks are reluctant to tune into a political convention right now or to politics in general. Believe me, I get that. But I am here tonight because I love this country with all my heart and it pains me to see so many people hurting. I've met so many of you. I've heard your stories and through you, I have seen this country's promise. And thanks to so many who came before me, thanks to their toil and sweat and blood, I've been able to live that promise myself. That's the story of America. All those folks who sacrificed and overcame so much in their own times because they wanted something more, something better for their kids there's a lot of beauty in that story there's a lot of pain in it too a lot of struggle and injustice and work left to do and who we choose as our president in this election will determine whether or not we honor that struggle and chip away at that injustice and keep alive the very possibility of finishing that work I am one of a handful of people living today who have seen firsthand the immense weight and awesome power of the presidency. And let me once again tell you this, the job is hard. It requires clear-headed judgment, a mastery of complex and competing issues, a devotion to facts and history, a moral compass, and an ability to listen and an abiding belief that each of the 330 million lives in this country has meaning and worth a president's words have the power to move markets they can start wars or broker peace they can summon our better angels or awaken our worst instincts You simply cannot fake your way through this job. As I've said before, being president doesn't change who you are. It reveals who you are. Well, a presidential election can reveal who we are, too. And four years ago, too many people chose to believe that their votes didn't matter. Maybe they were fed up maybe they thought the outcome wouldn't be close maybe the barriers felt too steep whatever the reason in the end those choices sent someone to the oval office who lost the national popular vote by nearly 3 million votes in one of the states that determined the outcome the winning margin averaged out to just 2 votes per precinct 2 votes And we've all been living with the consequences. When my husband left office with Joe Biden at his side, we had a record-breaking stretch of job creation. We'd secured the right to healthcare for 20 million people. We were respected around the world, rallying our allies to confront climate change. And our leaders had worked hand in hand with scientists to help prevent an Ebola outbreak From becoming a global pandemic. Four years later, the state of this nation is very different. More than 150,000 people have died and our economy is in shambles because of a virus that this president downplayed for too long. It has left millions of people jobless. Too many have lost their health care. too many are struggling to take care of basic necessities like food and rent. Too many communities have been left in the lurch to grapple with whether and how to open our schools safely. Internationally, we've turned our back, not just on agreements forged by my husband, but on alliances championed by presidents like reagan and eisenhower and here at home as george floyd brianna taylor and a never-ending list of innocent people of color continue to be murdered stating the simple fact that a black life matters is still met with derision from the nation's highest office Because whenever we look to this White House for some leadership or consolation or any semblance of steadiness, what we get instead is chaos, division, and a total and utter lack of empathy. Empathy, that's something I've been thinking a lot about lately. The ability to walk in someone else's shoes the recognition that someone else's experience has value too most of us practice this without a second thought if we see someone suffering or struggling we don't stand in judgment we reach out because there but for the grace of god go i it is not a hard concept to grasp it's what we teach our children And like so many of you barack and i have tried our best to instill in our girls a strong moral foundation to carry forward the values that our parents and grandparents poured into us. But right now, kids in this country are seeing what happens when we stop requiring empathy of one another. They're looking around wondering if we've been lying to them this whole time about who we are and what we truly value. They see people shouting in grocery stores, unwilling to wear a mask to keep us all safe. They see people calling the police on folks minding their own business just because of the color of their skin. They see an entitlement that says only certain people belong here. That greed is good and winning is everything because as long as you come out on top, it doesn't matter what happens to everyone else. And they see what happens when that lack of empathy is ginned up into outright disdain. They see our leaders labeling fellow citizens enemies of the state while emboldening torch-bearing white supremacists. They watch in horror as children are torn from their families and thrown into cages and pepper spray and rubber bullets are used on peaceful protesters for a photo op. Sadly, this is the America that is on display for the next generation. A nation that's underperforming, not simply on matters of policy, but on matters of character. And that's not just disappointing. It's downright infuriating. Because I know the goodness and the grace that is out there in households and neighborhoods all across this nation. And I know that regardless of our race, age, religion, or politics, when we close out the noise and the fear and truly open our hearts, we know that what's going on in this country is just not right. This is not who we wanna be. So what do we do now? What's our strategy? Over the past four years, a lot of people have asked me, when others are going so low, does going high still really work? My answer, going high is the only thing that works because when we go low, when we use those same tactics, of degrading and dehumanizing others, we just become part of the ugly noise that's drowning out everything else. We degrade ourselves. We degrade the very causes for which we fight. But let's be clear. Going high does not mean putting on a smile and saying nice things when confronted by viciousness and cruelty. Going high means taking the harder path, It means scraping and clawing our way to that mountaintop. Going high means standing fierce against hatred while remembering that we are one nation under God. And if we want to survive, we've got to find a way to live together and work together across our differences. And going high means unlocking the shackles of lies and mistrust with the only thing that can truly set us free, the cold, hard truth. So let me be as honest and clear as I possibly can. Donald Trump is the wrong president for our country. He has had more than enough time to prove that he can do the job, but he is clearly in over his head. He cannot meet this moment. He simply cannot be who we need him to be for us. It is what it is. Now, I understand that my message won't be heard by some people. We live in a nation that is deeply divided, and I am a Black woman speaking at the Democratic Convention. But enough of you know me by now. You know that I tell you exactly what I'm feeling you know i hate politics but you also know that i care about this nation you know how much i care about all of our children so if you take one thing from my words tonight it is this if you think things cannot possibly get worse trust me they can and they will if we don't make a change in this election if We have any hope of ending this chaos. We have got to vote for Joe Biden like our lives depend on it. I know Joe. He is a profoundly decent man guided by faith. He was a terrific vice president. He knows what it takes to rescue an economy, beat back a pandemic and lead our country. And he listens. He will tell the truth and trust science. He will make smart plans and manage a good team. And he will govern as someone who's lived a life that the rest of us can recognize. When he was a kid, Joe's father lost his job. When he was a young senator, Joe lost his wife and his baby daughter. And when he was vice president, he lost his beloved son. So Joe knows the anguish of sitting at a table with an empty chair, which is why he gives his time so freely to grieving parents. Joe knows what it's like to struggle, which is why he gives his personal phone number to kids overcoming a stutter of their own. His life is a testament to getting back up, and he is going to channel that same grit and passion to pick us all up to help us heal and guide us forward. Now, Joe is not perfect, and he'd be the first to tell you that, but there is no perfect candidate, no perfect president, and his ability to learn and grow, we find in that the kind of humility and maturity that so many of us yearn for right now. Because Joe Biden has served this nation, his entire life without ever losing sight of who he is. But more than that, he has never lost sight of who we are, all of us. Joe Biden wants all of our kids to go to a good school, see a doctor when they're sick, live on a healthy planet, and he's got plans to make all of that happen. Joe Biden wants all of our kids, no matter what they look like, to be able to walk out the door without worrying about being harassed or arrested or killed. He wants all of our kids to be able to go to a movie or a math class without being afraid of getting shot. He wants all our kids to grow up with leaders who won't just serve themselves and their wealthy peers, but will provide a safety net for people facing hard times. And if we want a chance to pursue any of these goals, any of these most basic requirements for a functioning society, we have to vote for Joe Biden in numbers that cannot be ignored. Because right now, folks who know they cannot win fair and square at the ballot box are doing everything they can to stop us from voting. They're closing down polling places in minority neighborhoods. They're purging voter rolls. They're sending people out to intimidate voters and they're lying about the security of our ballots. These tactics are not new, but this is not the time to withhold our votes in protest or play games with candidates who have no chance of winning. We have got to vote like we did in 2008 and 2012. We've got to show up with the same level of passion and hope for Joe Biden. We've got to vote early, in person if we can. We've got to request our mail-in ballots right now, tonight, and send them back immediately. And follow up to make sure they're received. And then make sure our friends and families do the same. We have got to grab our comfortable shoes, put on our masks, pack a brown bag, dinner, and maybe breakfast too, because we've got to be willing to stand in line all night if we have to. Look, we have already sacrificed so much this year. So many of you are already going that extra mile. Even when you're exhausted, you're mustering up unimaginable courage to put on those scrubs and give our loved ones a fighting chance. Even when you're anxious, you're delivering those packages, stocking those shelves and doing all that essential work so that all of us can keep moving forward. Even when it all feels so overwhelming, working parents are somehow piecing it all together without childcare. Teachers are getting creative so that our kids can still learn and grow. Our young people are desperately fighting to pursue their dreams. And when the horrors of systemic racism shook our country and our consciences, millions of Americans of every age, every background rose up to march for each other, crying out for justice and progress. This is who we still are. Compassionate, resilient, decent people whose fortunes are bound up with one another. And it is well past time for our leaders to once again reflect our truth. So it is up to us to add our voices and our votes to the course of history, echoing heroes like John Lewis who said, when you see something that is not right, You must say something, you must do something. That is the truest form of empathy, not just feeling, but doing. Not just for ourselves or our kids, but for everyone, for all our kids. And if we want to keep the possibility of progress alive in our time, if we want to be able to look our children in the eye after this election, we have got to reassert our place in American history. And we have got to do everything we can to elect my friend Joe Biden as the next president of the United States. Thank you all. God bless.